Hi. Uh, the reading this evening or this afternoon is from Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 31. Um, and Paul has been speaking to the church in Rome and talking about how living by the Spirit frees us from living under the law of sin and death. And we pick the story up in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we shall face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hi everyone, my name's Alex, I'm the campus minister here at Carlton and it's great to be with you and really start this new series uh, that we've called A Rich Spiritual Life and I hope it's an opportunity for us to really reflect on who we are in Christ and really how we can really nurture and cultivate our spiritual lives. Uh, under the passage you would have uh, seen in the booklet there's a bunch of words there. Hopefully you've got a, uh, a new sheet there. If you don't, make sure you do get one. Uh, you will need it uh, through the sermon. But there's a bunch of words there. They're meant to be all in different fonts, but some of the fonts didn't transfer over to the administrator's computer, so uh, there it is. Uh, have a look at some of those words uh, and really spend a moment uh, circling the ones, uh, either with a pen if you've got one or just you're sort of in your mind, that really describe your spiritual experience, your personal work, walk with God. No right or wrong answers, but maybe just reflect on that for a few moments. What describe your spiritual experience? Uh, if that's something that you want to think a little bit more about, maybe you could take that sheet with you uh, and have a look at it during the week. As I said, there's no right or wrong answer and indeed you might actually identify with all of those words at different points in your spiritual lives. Well, as we try and kind of make sense of our spiritual experience, I think there's a, a danger in our Christian culture, we have various measures uh, of what a healthy spiritual life looks like, which we take on explicitly or even implicitly as we kind of soak up the culture around us. One of those measures is our feelings, 
right? How close or how intimate do I feel with God? Another measure is whether we have a disciplined devotional life, whether we regularly read our Bible and pray. And that's the key to intimacy, to spiritual, a healthy spiritual life is having a really disciplined devotional life. That's another measure. And we hear these various things are taught and exhorted by people and we see it exemplified in the lives of the great Christians of the past. And for a while it can be really, really inspiring. But then sometimes after a little while, reality sets in. Uh, we try and try and try, but we can't quite get our lives to match up to what we hear taught or exemplified. We don't pray three hours a day like Martin Luther did. And so then these examples that we hear about, this teaching we hear about, They start out as inspiring, but they kind of turn into this rod that we end up beating ourselves with to show how hopeless we are as Christians. And so then we either end up constantly berating ourselves or go, this is too hard, and we just give up. And we live in this contradiction, right? We think regularly, reading my Bible and praying, well, that's that's important, but we don't do it. And people can live in this tension for years. But ultimately that tension is unsustainable and it can be destructive. Something has got to break, something's got to give. And often it's how we perceive our relationship with God. Instead of it being about joy and freedom, it becomes about guilt and legalism. And I think the only people who can actually do this Christian thing are the strong-willed people, right? Well, how, how sad is that? Christianity, Christianity is only for the strong willed. And how far away from the gospel and the heart of God that is. But the questions remain what should we expect from our spiritual experience? What part should I, should we play in it? What's the place of the Bible and prayer? What does true spiritual discipline look like? Now it's important we get our expectations right. You can see there's some mixed up expectations in that photo. Have a look, you'll get the joke in a minute. You see if we don't get our expectations right we're bound to be disillusioned and disappointed. We're hoping for one thing but we're experiencing another, perhaps even thinking that something's gone terribly wrong if our expectations and our experiences don't match up. Like, is this real? And so to get clarity on these questions, we need not to turn to our Christian culture, but the Gospel. What does the Gospel say about this? I think the Gospel, as we turn to it, it reveals three profound truths about our spiritual lives. And they're on your sheet as well. The first is this. In Christ we are already deeply loved. In Christ we are already deeply loved. More than we can ever know. So spirituality is not something we do to earn God's favour. That's the first one. Two, uh, in Christ we are already spiritual. Spirituality is not something that we attain 
or kind of run up to. All Christians are spiritual because all Christians have the Holy Spirit. That's the second one. Third one, Christian spirituality uh, is less about specific practices or tangible emotional experiences and primarily about conformity to Christ. That's what the Spirit is doing in us, conforming us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're going to spend some time dwelling on these truths. So let's turn to the uh, word we heard read today, God's word. And it's an absolutely thrilling passage, isn't it? It's a wonderful passage. Uh, But I just want to uh, draw your attention to four uh, remarkable things in particular. Number one, verse 31, God is for us. God is for us. No matter who or what is against us, God is for us. And frankly, that's what counts. And we need to keep hearing that. If we are in Christ, then God is for us, no matter what we feel or what we face. And God will overwhelm and overcome any opposition in the end. God is for us. But how can I be sure? How can I be sure that God is for me? Number two, we can be sure because he's given us everything. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God's given us Jesus. That's how much he is for you. And if he's already done that, then he's going to give you everything, including a share in Jesus' glory. This is where we come to this passage we have on the screen. This is earlier on in Romans, in chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. You can just notice those bits in yellow I've highlighted. By grace, uh, if you're in Christ, you've been adopted as God's children. That means we'll inherit all that God has promised including a share in Jesus' glory. And the mark, the proof, the guarantee that that will happen is that we have the Holy Spirit. He's the proof that we're going to share in Jesus' glory. And we know from elsewhere in the New Testament that the Spirit enables faith in Christ and he empowers us to live the life that we're called to in him. Right through chapter 8, Christians are described as having the Spirit or in the Spirit, All Christians, right? Not some, but all Christians. So if you're a Christian, you're not trying to be spiritual, right? You're not sometimes spiritual. You are spiritual because you have the Holy Spirit. And so all of your life is spiritual. And so spirituality is not something that Christians attain or that we strive for. As a Christian, you're already spiritual because you are in the Spirit and the Spirit is in you. Look at how Paul opens his letter to the Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing. And notice what the blessings are, right? They're not kind of next level inner circle experiences, right? This is what you graduate to once you get to the next level of Christianity. They're adoption, redemption, 
forgiveness and read through the chapter and you'll see a whole list. You see, there are no levels, no castes, no tiers of Christianity. No in-crowd and out-crowd here. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit and you have every spiritual blessing. Praise be to God. So in Christ, God has really given us everything. He's given us his Son, his Spirit. He's given us glory. Number three, he's justified us. By grace, through faith, verses 33 and 34, we're justified. To be justified means to be, that God has declared us as righteous, in right standing with him. You are now blameless, guilt-free. It includes forgiveness, but it's more than that. It's to have the charges removed, to be acquitted, to be declared not guilty. Not guilty. Now that's an amazing truth because the truth is we, des- we all deserve, all of us, the guilty verdict. But the Gospel says because of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection, God declares all those who put their trust in Jesus, their day-to-day trust in Jesus, not guilty. And this declaration is not based on my performance. It's not something I deserve. It's a gift. It's God's kindness. It's his grace. Sinners are beautiful, uh, are beautiful because they are loved. They are not loved because they are beautiful. That's what Martin Luther said. And so Paul, and so as Paul says here in verse 34, if we are justified, if we've been truly declared not guilty, then no one can condemn us. Nobody. God won't. Indeed, Jesus is interceding for us now with the Father in heaven. And if God isn't going to condemn me, well, then nobody else can. And even more, I shouldn't condemn myself. Have you ever felt like a failure before God before? I'm a hopeless Christian. How can God look at me and not be disappointed with what he sees? Now, of course, there's a place for right reflection and godly sorrow. We should never be comfortable or satisfied or stop caring about sin in our life. But sometimes it can crush and paralyse us and that, brothers and sisters, is a trap of the devil. He wants us feeling crushed by the weight of our own thing when Jesus has actually come to take that weight off us. He wants you to hide from God in your guilt. He wants you to grind to a halt because you think, this is just too hard. But in the Gospel there's freedom. A freedom that comes from knowing that even when I fail, God freely, lovingly and joyfully forgives me in Christ. And no matter how many times I fall, his not guilty declaration remains over me and my life as long as I continue in repentance and faith. How wonderful, how, how kind God has been to us. 
But why has God been like this? Well, verses 35 to 39, number four, because God loves us. God doesn't declare us not guilty begrudgingly, kind of annoyed that he had to step in and send Jesus to sort the problem out. He's not begrudging, annoyed. He's done all these things because he loves us, because he loves you. God will never stop loving us, for nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul says. And if that's true, if nothing can separate us from God's love, neither can my sin or my feelings or my dodgy quiet times. As you did that uh, exercise at the start, I'm not sure what your response was, what resonated with you the most. But whatever our experience and feelings tell us, the truth proclaimed in the Gospel is that you are profoundly loved more than you can ever, ever know. Not in some vain hope we might make ourselves worthy, but as we are compromised, burdened and weak. I have photos of my kids on my phone, which will come up now. It's okay, they're not here, so I can show them. And when I look at those photos, no matter what they've done that day, and, you know, there's been some pretty full-on days, my heart bursts with love for them. What do you think God thinks and feels when he sees you? There's no need to doubt or to speculate. Look what he's done for you in Jesus. There's your answer. He loves you. And sisters and brothers, it's really important that we're deeply planted and anchored in these truths. Because if we're not, we could easily be deceived by our feelings and our experience. Sometimes we feel, of, uh, feel full, on fire, full of joy uh, of the Lord. Sometimes we feel dry and weak. We feel like he's left the building, not present. But the reality is my standing with God in Christ is as good as it gets. That's not to say that my feelings or experiences are irrelevant. No. But what is crucial is that we... Uh, let God's word inform our experience rather than letting our feelings push out the truth of the gospel. Well, is there something more? Is there something more to be experienced, something better to have, a deeper relationship with God? And the answer is yes. Sometimes we'll go down, sometimes we'll go up. But the answer isn't primarily a different type of emotional experience or spiritual experience. We may have those, but the deeper experience we're encouraged to seek is a deeper trust, a deeper knowledge of God's love, a more secure and empowering hope. This week, here's an exercise for you. Go and look through Paul's prayers to the churches. See what he prays for, for 
to the people, the churches he writes to. These are the things that he prays for, a deeper love, a deeper trust, a deeper hope. And as we cultivate those things, we do it primarily uh, with relationship with God through his word and prayer. And we're going to look at those uh, two things over the next couple of weeks. And even as we turn to God's word, we see that God's goal for us isn't uh, more intense feelings or some extraordinary uh, spiritual experience or, or a, more, a more disciplined devotional routine. I'm not saying that they won't form part of our Christian lives or that we shouldn't seek them. There, there can be incredible moments of emotional intimacy and we see some of those described in the scriptures. However, they're not the goal. And if you make them the goal, you're not only missing the point, you're setting yourself up for a fall because you may end up disappointed and disillusioned when you don't have those things that God doesn't necessarily promise. You see, God's spiritual goal for each of us is actually set out clearly and it's earlier in this passage that we looked at, Romans 8 verse 21. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to what? What's our destiny? To be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, God's goal for you and for me, our destiny is to become like Jesus. Now, there are a lot of things working against that goal. The Bible tells us that the whole world is under the power of Satan, under the power of the evil one. And the world is in constantly, in lots of different ways, exerting pressure on us to conform to it, to find our satisfaction, our security, our fulfilment in the world. But God has chosen and predestined us to be conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that conformity look like? Well, lots of things. It's conformity to Christ's character. That's the Spirit's work in us. I can have a look at Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's what conformity to Christ's character looks like. It's also conformity to Christ's convictions, love for God and his truth, hatred of falsehood and injustice. It's conformity to Christ's concerns, seeking God's kingdom first, loving others over self. And I could go on and unpack all of that. We don't have time. But that's God's spiritual goal for you, conformity to Christ. And it doesn't happen in the abstract. It doesn't happen in a philosophical debate. It happens in everyday life, right? with your family, at church, in the workplace, out to dinner with friends, on Zoom, on social media. That's how we're conforming to Christ. As those who are in Christ, we strive no longer to walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit. So how are you living you walking in the Spirit, conforming to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But let me just quickly summarise where we've come. In Christ we are deeply loved, more than we could ever know. So spirituality is not something that we do to earn God's favour. Two, spirituality is not something that you set out to attain as a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit. You don't need to become a spiritual person. You already are a spiritual person. I hope that's good news. I hope that gives you a sense of relief. Maybe you're feeling some guilt over not having a regular quiet time. Maybe you don't feel very spiritual. The Gospel is good news. God loves you. He's done what we could never do in Jesus. All of your life is spiritual and you're able to walk in Jesus because of his empowering, indwelling spirit. Three, authentic spirituality is primarily about conformity to Christ. And that's something that's very, very practical. It's about putting off the ways of the world and living according to the spirit who dwells in you. That's what the Spirit is doing, conforming us to Christ. It's more about uh, letting God's word shape your character and convictions than getting through the Bible in a year. So getting through the Bible in a year is a good thing to do. It's more about cultivating prayerfulness than making sure you get up early to pray at 5am so you can do a good two hours before you get ready for work. So if you do that, that's also a good thing. It's more about actually living out what Jesus teaches and knowing the answers to tricky Bible questions. It's about being kind and gentle and generous in your relationship rather than maximising these intense moments of intimacy with God. It's about conforming to the image of Jesus as you move through each day, each week, each year. Well, let me finish today with just some ideas on how to grow in conformity to Jesus. This is something that uh, you could extend. If you're in a connect group, you can extend the discussion a bit further. First, conformity to Jesus, the work of the Spirit through God's Word and prayer. And we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks. But the New Testament also says this about conformity to Jesus. It actually comes through training, pumping iron, getting in the gym. Uh, Here's uh, Paul's advice to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4. Train yourself in godliness. For physical training is of some value, godliness uh, is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So train yourself in godliness. Uh, There's a guy, a Christian man, uh, John Ortberg, and he wrote this book, The Life You Always Wanted, and it's really about Uh, simple ways we can grow in spiritual disciplines as we seek to conform our life to Jesus. And he gives uh, lots of simple examples. He says, one example, if loving people, uh, if loving people for you is hard because you're tired and you don't have enough energy, well, why don't you practice the spiritual discipline of getting more sleep? That will help you love people better. Simple, isn't it? If you lack joy, then maybe you need to practice a spiritual uh, discipline of celebration, celebrating God's goodness around you from time to time. Eat a meal that you love. Listen to music that really moves you. And as you do that, thank the God who made it all, the God who gave it all. Thank him for that. Enjoy God. Do you want to cultivate patience? 
another book uh, in her book on spiritual disciplines, uh, Adele Alberg Colhoun suggests intentionally placing ourselves in situations where we need to practice patience. For example, when you go to the supermarket, choose the longest line on purpose. Okay? Uh, Try the spiritual discipline of driving in the slow lane without overtaking. Now, I'm not saying Jesus would drive in the slow lane. What I'm saying is Jesus was patient, right? Choosing to drive in the slow lane, you may train yourself in patience. And as you grow in patience in these little things, you train yourself for the key moments where it really counts, right? When you need to be patient with someone here at church, some of you, someone in your family, an obnoxious person at work, or as you're really kind of waiting for God to answer your prayer, then you need patience. Do you want to be more other person-centred? Perhaps you could practice the spiritual discipline of listening. Often when we come to conversations, we're kind of full of our own agendas, uh, the things that we want to know, the things that we want to say, the jokes we want to make. Perhaps you can practice consciously listening to other people, asking them questions, making the conversation about them. Maybe that will help you be more other person-centred in other areas of your life as well. Uh, if you want to grow in generosity, try the spiritual discipline of doubling your giving for a month. Now, uh, it doesn't have to be to church. That would be okay, but it doesn't have to be to church. But do it as a challenge with the greater goal of cultivating generosity, right? And after doing that for a month, you might find out, actually, I didn't really miss that money much at all. And then go again, double it again. Now, some of these steps, might feel beyond us, which is why we need to go into training. And bear in mind that the Spirit of God is capable of far more than we could ask or imagine, right? Don't sell God short. He can do amazing things in your life. But you need to train. What can you do now, this week, to start training. And if you need to start small, do it. Just start in that area that before God you've identified. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. What I mean by that is just because we can't get there doesn't mean we shouldn't start here, right? Often we can make these big goals so big that we can never get to them so we never start. Start small. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Well, I hope you've kind of seen that this gives a much bigger, more holistic picture of our spiritual lives. It's not just about, primarily about extraordinary feelings or experiences or having a set, lengthy, daily quiet time. It's about daily training your spiritual muscles, growing into the likeness of Jesus, one workout session at a time. How about I lead us in prayer? 
loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him we have every spiritual blessing. We have your spirit, we have salvation, we have the promise of glory. Help us rest in that reality and help us conform to his image in every way. Help us start this week in little steps as we move towards becoming like Jesus. Amen.